0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 133 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Humorous Empathy, an interview with Brianna Wick. My name is Richard Johansson, And I'm Matt Sepetolo. So, Matt, we named this episode Humorous Empathy because we think that captures, that title captures the essence of this brilliant young woman. Brianna was a gifted and talented child. And she was able to take a trip with her middle school to the East Coast from California. And unfortunately, she suffered a tick bite and Lyme disease. The Lyme disease ruined her childhood. She was sick all the time. She saw doctors often. She wore medical devices. She had to wear clothing to hide the medical devices. And ultimately, she suffered a great deal of bullying during her childhood. But that did not present itself in Brianna's adult life with anger or regret. What it did is it created a very empathetic young woman. Rich, what really stood out for me in Brianna's Lyme journey is that she had heart surgery. Then she gets a Lyme diagnosis. And at 16, she jumps right in and creates a website, goes on the radio, creates a YouTube account, and starts raising awareness and money for Lyme disease. The response was she started getting an overwhelming amount of people reaching out to her that were really sick in the Lyme community. And because she was still sick and healing, she had to stop all of those accounts. Fast forward a few years later, And that's how we found Brianna today on her Instagram account, Official Green Soup. And she's bringing joy and laughter to people in the wine community on a daily basis. We're really excited to introduce the very intelligent, kind, and humorous Brianna Wick to the Tick Bootcamp community. Hi, thanks for having me. Well, we're so excited to have you, Brianna, and uh, we have um, been following you on Instagram for a long, long time, and you have an awesome Instagram page and Uh, we're really blessed to um, have you move from that format to an audio format with uh, our podcast. So thank you for accepting the invitation.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me on. You guys really squeezing me in here, so I'm so glad. So so Brianna,
0: where are you from?
1: I'm from San Diego, California.
0: And are you a native of San Diego?
1: Yes, actually, which is kind of interesting.
0: Oh, and are you currently well enough to work?
1: Uh, remotely from home, yeah, but also because of the pandemic, so it's kind of works out for me that way.
0: And what kind of work are you doing do- during your quarantine in California?
1: Right now I'm creating digital content for different companies, so I make like AR filters for their pages or edit videos or edit their photos or put together PowerPoints, so just like a little work like that on my own.
0: And uh, what is your educational background?
1: I actually just graduated college from San Francisco State in um, communication. Yeah, thank you. I just graduated in communication studies, but with a focus on digital marketing. So it's really fun.
0: (laughs) That is really cool. So, Rana, when did your um, tick disease journey begin? Meaning, when did you first start showing the symptoms of your tick disease?
1: You know, I first started showing symptoms... The month that I got bit, actually, so pretty immediately, and I got bit back in 2007 in and middle how,
0: school. So how old were you at that time? I was 12. Now, when you say you were bitten, you were bitten by a tick. Yes. And um, what was the what was the experience like finding a tick biting you?
1: Well, mine's kind of interesting because I was on the East Coast trip in middle school where they take us on the West Coast from San Diego to the East Coast with our school. And we go around everywhere. We go to Boston, New York, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., everywhere. And I actually flew back to San Diego with the ticks still on me. So when I showered that night, I thought I had a mole on my shoulder. And then I touched it, and legs sprawled out, and I screamed. It was horrible.
0: So, uh, <laughs> which, which of the fine East Coast cities were you visiting when you believe that you uh, were bitten?
1: No idea. I have no idea which one it was. Because we would take these Greyhound buses and just wake up in a different place or, like, stay in a hotel and then go to the next place, you know. I don't know even where it was, but I know that it was done. It was completely done um, eating when I found it. It was backing out already.
0: So So how long were you on the East Coast visiting us um, at the time that you had been bitten?
1: I believe it was a week. It was a week. So we were in a different place every day. But I wore a hoodie... Uh, long sleeve, you know. I wore jeans tucked into my UGG boots back then. I was completely covered, head to toe. So I don't know how it got in there. It must have dropped through somewhere.
0: Well, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit. But let's 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 talk about what you knew about ticks and tick diseases at that time. You're about 12 or 13, and you're in middle school. Did you? through your educational experience or through any of your social contacts, know anything about ticks and tick diseases?
1: Nothing, I knew nothing about it. I never even really thought of a tick before,
0: before that. I
1: knew bugs like to bite me, that's all I knew okay. <laughs> about so, anything.
0: So at, at no point during your educational experience in any of your health courses or anything like that, did you learn about ticks and tick diseases?
1: Nope, and they didn't inform us of anything on the trip either.
0: All right. And that was going to be my next question. So your, your school district sets up a trip to come to the East Coast. I guess this is a part of the regular educational experience that you you had um, enjoyed as uh, middle school students in San Diego. You, you were coming to uh, the New York area. And even though we are a tick endemic uh, area and the entire East Coast is, um, you were never given any information from your school about protecting yourselves from ticks or tick diseases?
1: Nope. And we were hiking and it was May, which is the height of tick season.
0: So when you were Um, hiking, were your hikes here on the East Coast led by any local folks?
1: Yes. And nobody said anything still.
0: So you now come on this trip, you go home, you take a shower and you find a tick biting you on your shoulder. Um, How'd you know it was a tick?
1: I didn't. I did not know. I thought it was a weird, giant mole that appeared. And then when I saw legs, I just screamed. And then I didn't know it was a tick until my mom kind of maybe thought it was that it was. Okay. And I still didn't know.
0: So when the, when the, when the tick was, how was the tick removed? Did your mom remove it? Did you remove it? And what did you do with the tick after it was removed?
1: She flicked it (laughs) She just, we freaked out, both of us, and she just flicked it, and we don't know where it went. <laughs> oh my gosh, we didn't keep it or anything.
0: So, Brianna, let's talk about what your life was like to that point. So, uh, talk to us about what your life was like in San Diego and what kinds of things were you pursuing at that stage in your life?
1: Well, see, that's something I think about a lot. I was actually in the GATE seminar program, which is very hard to get into. Um, there's a GATE program, which you take a test and you're in the 99, 99% up. But then the GATE seminar is when you take the test and you're in 99.9% you score on the test. Basically, it's its own 1% program. And people who are in the GATE seminar program, Uh, are on track to go to Ivy League schools. So So I was able to pick my school, basically.
0: So, Brandon, let's talk about, Is, is, is the gay program a gifted and talented program? Yes. Okay, so you at that stage in your life were being tested and you ultimately tested into a gifted and talented program in your community, correct? Yes. So what types of things were you doing around that gifted and talented program not only were you now setting some new goals for yourself but what type of educational experiences were you having and how were you performing in those educational experiences
1: well honestly um i was taking advanced classes i was at the top of my school i with some other kids you know um and I was doing leadership programs at colleges with other people my age. And I was winning. I won like the Jenna Druck Women's Leadership Foundation program for Write You Like Write Essays. I was I did multiple programs and I won first or second place in these programs. I was really academically sh- uh, strong in my education. I was just everything clicked. I was doing like mass contests and writing English essays that were winning awards. And I was just on fire. I felt amazing. I was literally just, everything made sense. I, I was like my teacher's favorite and I really loved school. So it was something that I just was so comfortable and happy and proud of myself.
0: Now, well, you of were course having all of these academic successes. Were you setting goals for yourself and was an Ivy League education one of those goals?
1: Yes, definitely. I was, I was just wanting to go to a really good school. I hadn't thought exactly. I, I can't even remember, but I was all the good schools that you dream of when you're young. You know, I was really excited
0: to do so. That. Uh, if you were thinking, of course, of going to an ideal school, that's me. That meant you were going to come to the East Coast. And I think it's interesting that we sort of have these parallels where you had this goal of coming to the East Coast to um, get your education and. At 13, you come to these coasts and you get bitten by a tick. And now, how did that tick bite, um, which you um, ultimately discovered when you had gotten home, begin to impact your capacity to pursue these um, academic dreams?
1: First, I had some physical symptoms. So once, you know, I gained a lot of weight rapidly um, and I had Uh, flu symptoms but then I started having the more of the like neurological like brain fog and suddenly things like weren't making sense as much and I was um, I guess just more like it was like I was stunted like I just felt I didn't feel right I couldn't really explain it it's been so long now but you know basically just things weren't really it wasn't really making sense anymore I was my grades started dropping is what happened that year from straight A's to now C's and D's, it, it kept getting worse every year, honestly, after that.
0: So let's talk about first the, the physical symptoms in some detail and how your, your family was responding to the physical symptoms. You said that you, you, had, um, you had flu-like symptoms after the tick bite. And what did you do or what did your family do uh, to uh, seek out health care?
1: So my mom did tell a family friend, a doctor who was practicing that I got bit by a tick and he gave me, I believe, two weeks of Zithromax antibiotics and it didn't do even make a dent. Honestly, I was, I gained 30 pounds um, the first month and they, I went to the doctor And they wrote, and I have it to this day on my medical record, scale broken question mark circled like across the paper because I had gained like 30 pounds in a month. And I'm like 13, you know, so, but the flu like symptoms, the stiff neck, the, my skin broke out, out of nowhere. And I was on this Zythermax for two weeks and that's it. And then after that, it went ignored.
0: So you had these huge symptoms and a a huge change in your your body weight and your appearance. And the only thing that the doctors did was give you two weeks of antibiotics and then send you on your way? Yes, infuriating, yeah. So how did your symptoms continue to develop and what other medical assistance did you and your mom seek out to try to deal with these developing symptoms?
1: Well, I was, we went back to the doctor and I was tested for mono and strep and by the pediatrician, not Lyme though. And, um, they came, obviously mono and strep came back negative and then they put me on amoxicillin for two weeks, I guess. Um, and then that was it. So then my symptoms began developing the next few years during high school and they got
0: significantly worse. (laughs) So, Brandon, let's talk about the, the, the symptoms now developing during the first year after your bite. Um, you, you've outlined for us what the physical symptoms were and how the doctors would just give you two different courses of antibiotics. How were your now physical symptoms impacting your performance in the Gates program and uh, in your academic pursuits?
1: Um, well, I was pretty much absent from school entirely um i mean the majority of the time i was having severe daily migraines with a blinding aura like i couldn't see i started fainting about a dozen times a day where you like you know you stand up and you black out and so at school i was like known by the security who was driving around on the golf cart And he would constantly have to pick me up and take me to the nurses. I spent most of my time in the nurse's office in high school. So education and my schoolwork was not even a priority at all. I wasn't, I was doing the bare minimum. So I had to retake classes. I had, oh, and I didn't uh, pass them. So, you know, there was no education aspect in my life
0: anymore. So your expectations were that you were not only going to have a traditional educational experience through middle school and high school, but you were also going to have the enhancements from the Gates program. And you couldn't even at that point, as time went on, um, not only participate in the enhanced Gates programs, but you couldn't even complete your basic educational requirements.
1: Yeah, and I was in uh, the advanced English classes still um, in high school. But I was probably just the most looked down upon student in those classes. I mean, I was not only bullied by those kids, but the teachers didn't take me seriously. And we didn't know what was going on. So I just looked like the dummy in the class, you know, who couldn't remember anything.
0: (laughs) So, 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 Brie, let's talk about that piece of, uh, of this experience. So you're, you had this desire to come to the East Coast to be educated at, some of the top schools, you were, um, you were t- tested and uh, you were entered into the Gates program, uh, but you have this, this tick bite experience which almost immediately causes you to now lose the capacity to function at a high level and you now start to have some challenges socially. So um, let's, let's talk about those challenges first. Uh, the, the, the people that you were studying with in classes How were they treating you, and how was that making you feel?
1: Well, I was getting heavily bullied by uh, regular students. I was not popular at all. And then I was getting heavily bullied by the gate students as well because I was just not smart enough to fit in with them either. And, yeah, it was pretty bad because I was wearing – because of my symptoms, um, a heart monitor, because I kept fainting, you know? So I had huge um, wires all over me and they would beep, like the machine would beep all day. So I I was just like the outcast, definitely. And getting bullied um, a lot because of that.
0: How did that make you feel? Talk to us about how you felt about being bullied, first by the kids in the Gates program, who I guess were resentful of you being in the program because you couldn't perform at a high level any longer, and then by the children in the regular educational programs that you were in.
1: Depression, it was definitely depression. Um, I was just so, so depressed. I like um, isolated myself and I didn't talk to anybody. Um, I went through a lot of times where I didn't want to be alive, honestly. It was really, really heavy for me and my mom when she found out that's how I felt. Um, it was a really sad time for me.
0: Now, were there people who you were close to uh, that were also less than supportive of your uh, middle school and high school journeys um, relating to your illness? Meaning, how, how was your mom and how were the other intimate people in your life Dealing with you being constantly
1: sick. My mom was like the powerhouse of this situation. Uh, Thank God for her. She took care of me as best she could with what she knew. But my dad and my stepmom on my, on the other side of my family, they were completely absent um, and did not believe in Lyme, did not understand what was going on. And quite frankly, like I feel comfortable in saying they didn't care to, Uh, they didn't, want to know, didn't look up anything, and barely now even, you know, they just, so it was, it was pretty hard. I didn't really have anybody except my mom.
0: So do you think your, your dad and your stepmom were just sick of you being sick? Is that what the, what the issue was, or were there just some social issues unrelated to the illness that um, caused your dad to be absent?
1: They... They didn't believe that I was sick. They thought that we wanted attention, I think. Um, they said something about us having Munchausen's and, like, making it up, which was pretty, you know, hurtful. And I guess I could see why they thought that, because I didn't look sick or act sick. I mean, I gained weight and I was breaking out, but, you know, that's just, like, awkward years. So they didn't really understand um, it at all.
0: Rand, how were your teachers and the school administrators uh, treating you during that window of time when you're when you were going to school and being bullied by your Gates colleagues and your regular classmates?
1: Well, I was getting so bullied through this. Um, twitter account that went like viral like it was a huge deal it was crazy there was just like this hate twitter account and i was getting blamed i got blamed for it by this guy who was like fighting it was really bad and i didn't have a phone at the time or a computer or anything like it came out later it was the football team but my principal who happened to be the dad of my best friend um he they didn't Basically they were like on board thinking with with how I was getting bullied and blamed and treated they were not supportive even though here I was passing out all the time turning gray always in the nurse's office they so the principal was not supportive at all they were threatening to like expel whoever was in charge of this account or whatever and I went in there, you know, and they didn't help me. I was like, I'm getting blamed for this. Finally, my friend stuck up for me. To t- she told her dad, like, it's not her, you know. But the nurse was very supportive. I'm still friends with her to that day. I think she saved my life. Um, she was very helpful and still to this day is so it was like a mix it was like a 50 50 either completely supportive which was like the nurse and the chemistry teacher and the biology teacher for some reason they were really the sciencey people (laughs) were really supportive it was everyone else who wasn't so
0: If you don't mind, I'd like to put a little bit more meat on the bone of what was happening and why it resulted in you being bullied. Were you fainting in school? And because you were fainting, that's what you were being picked on about? Or was there something else going on?
1: No, that's the thing I'm not quite sure about. I mean, I guess because I was wearing a heart monitor and I had wires all the time and I had severe bruising all over my legs for no reason. So I'd wear tights. Um, To cover it, you know, black tights. And people would be like, what are you going to a funeral? Like things like that. It was like because I was noticeably trying to cover these things. Like it would be 80 degrees out. And I had heart monitor wires protruding out of my shirt. So I would wear a scarf to cover them. And it was 80 degrees. So like things like this that I I felt I had to do to protect myself were noticed by other kids. Which is a little weird because I don't think I'd pick on... the one one person with medical issues, you know, of course, but it's because I was covering it so well, I think, or not well, but trying so hard to that it got noticed by the other kids.
0: So Brianna, one of the things you shared with us is that you were being bullied on social media. And I think that's very interesting that someone like you who today is giving so much through social media was actually the victim of social media. So can you talk to us about that social media incident and how social media was used to abuse you?
1: Yes, definitely. Actually, when I was 16, which is around in high school, the time I got uh, diagnosed and I found out that I had Lyme disease, I started, um, this was more towards junior year, Uh, I started the social media accounts um, a YouTube. I was making parody videos about things people say to you when you have Lyme disease. You know, they call it limes. They, they're like, like, they don't understand basically. They're pretty funny. They're still online. Um, and I was making, I was doing all this. I was posting about it so much. People would be like, Brianna posts, one more thing about Lyme disease, they'd say it wrong, you know, I'm done, like, I can't stand this anymore. Congratulations, Brianna Wick for being the first person I unfollow. And this is right when Instagram had come out. Um And I was doing that. Um, pre- previous to that, there was some, there was like that account that was, uh I got bullied for it, but I didn't do like things that like I would just get picked on. Basically, I wasn't from the area of the school because of the gate program. So I was one of the few people that got bused into the school. So everybody in my school, they were in the suburbs and they all knew each other since kindergarten. So I was already the outsider
0: in that sense. But I was
1: doing things online
0: later. And and you were the outsider. So let's let's focus on the pre-diagnostic challenges that you faced. And largely what was happening was you were, I, I guess, considered the weird kid in part because uh, they didn't know you and in part because you were dressing differently and you had wires coming out of you and that became sort of a figure of fun for these kids before you were diagnosed. Yes, exactly. So now let's talk about the diagnosis. Um, how did you get diagnosed and how did um, things change for you first medically after you were diagnosed?
1: My mom started having a lot of stress because of everything going on with my uh, mysterious illness. And so she, did, she had like a fibromyalgia moment where she was just achy and in pain a little bit here and there. And that's when her, my uncle, her brother, said, well, maybe you have Lyme disease. And then she's like, what? No. And looked it up and she said, oh, my God, I think Brianna has this. And that's when she took me to a Lyme-literate medical doctor and I got tested.
0: So prior to your mom's epiphany, how many doctors did you treat with and did any of them ever even suggest to you that you needed to be tested for Lyme disease?
1: I believe it was the two different ones when I first got bit and no. And we did tell them I was bit by a tick and Lyme disease never came out of their mouth or anything. I wasn't tested.
0: Okay. So now you have these symptoms that develop over the course of three years and uh, your uncle makes this observation about your mother's symptoms. And when she starts doing the research, she discovers that perhaps you have Lyme disease and she finds uh, a Lyme literate doctor, is that correct? Yes. And how did things change after you went to the Lyme literate doctor?
1: Wow, it was a great pivotal moment in my journey. Um, my mom always says that we had a really big, she just had a really big sigh of relief to finally know what it was because she just knew in her heart that this doctor was right. And this doctor was amazing. I mean, she really saved our life, my life. Um, and I started treatment for the next four years. Um, and yeah, it, it, everything we did with her worked and I was in remission So So it took a long time.
0: Brianna, what type of testing did the Lyme litter doctor do to finally diagnose you with Lyme disease?
1: She did the Eliza Western block. There was, we didn't do hygienics. That was the only one we didn't do because this was so long ago. Okay. Um, But she also did muscle testing, which we had never heard of. And, you know, thank God my mom has an open mind and she's a, you know, she's, just that she's open-minded because that was weird, you know, for us. Cause we had no idea what was going on. She's like, put these in your hand and I'm going to try to push down on your arm. And we were like, what? But we did it and it was right. So it worked.
0: So in addition to using the muscle testing for a diagnostic tool, did the doctor also use the muscle testing as a tool for changing the treatment protocol during the four years you treated with her?
1: Yes, definitely. She would, um do that for all the supplements I needed, and when i when I went in again, she 'd do it again so and even with supplements that she didn't necessarily have right there, but she would like look up so she was amazing, and she was you know she was very thorough, so we went through everything we took clinical tests we like where you fill out the you know the online questionnaire it 's available online um she just went, she was so thorough. We went through, we did everything.
0: So now you have your diagnosis and now you can go back to school and hopefully explain to everyone why um, you had the changes that were going on. And were you able to use your diagnosis as a tool to help you out socially?
1: Well, there's one more part of this that I left out. Um, I was wearing the heart monitor And from that, we actually found out that I had congenital heart disease. So I had to go into immediate heart surgery. And from that, I lost like 35 pounds. It was very noticeable. I was suddenly skin and bones after my heart surgery. I believe it was because the circulation was better I had a hole in my heart that was causing a lot of blood loss and a lot of stress on my heart so once they sealed that hole I my circulation was like whooshing through my body you know like I ran two miles straight now like shortly after my heart surgery where they went through my leg my femoral artery so I don't have a scar or anything but um that was noticeable to everybody at my school that suddenly I was really really thin I was just bones. So, so Miranda, can,
0: can you orient this for us? Is this before or after you got your Lyme disease diagnosis?
1: This was at the same, right around the same time. Um, Cause I was testing, I was, they were doing all these tests trying to figure out what I had and then they found out that I had a hole in my heart, but then my, my Lyme test came back from the heart monitor, but then my Lyme test came back um, positive positive at the same time. But of course, immediately I had to do the heart surgery before he treated. So it's so, really confusing, but there was a lot going on and it was crazy. It was no, just I like, boom, boom,
0: boom. But I'm just trying yeah. to get, get an orientation for who diagnosed you with the, the uh, congenital heart defect. Was that the Lyme literate doctor while she was doing the rest of the testing discovered or were you treating with another doctor at that time?
1: That was, the, that was a cardiologist who put me on the I'm sorry, I'm making it so confusing, but that was a cardiologist when I was put on the heart monitor for fainting and then simultaneously I was, I had seen the Lyme doctor, but to get all these tests back took a while, you know, back then it was a longer process, I
0: feel. Yeah. I understand. So, so you're, you're fainting, you see a cardiologist, the cardiologist diagnoses you with the heart defect, which then is surgically repaired. Yeah.
1: And it took about three months to get that diagnosis because you have to wear the heart monitor for a long time and you have to go in for EKGs and you have, you know, it's like a lot of, it took probably like three months.
0: So because, because you're going through that experience, you're now the weird kid and now you're being mocked by your, by your classmates because you have, um, you have these, um, both clothing and and medical devices that you're using uh, the clothing to hide the medical devices, so you become a sort of a figure of fun there, and then you go through this radical change in your appearance. Now, how does that impact you socially?
1: I believe after my body change, I was getting a lot of comments that weren't even necessarily good at all like some people would be like oh she lost her her butt or oh like she doesn't eat or you know so it was just like because of my medical issues where I was obviously being treated differently than the other kids because I was constantly in the office constantly being taken away from class constantly the teachers uh were kind of like checking on me or seeing like just noticing me a lot or asking me things like what I would take my pulse in class and the teacher would be like are you okay you know and people would notice that so that tone that toned down after I started treatment but now that my body was different then I was getting a lot of comments because of that so it was like never-ending.
0: So let's talk about the pivot into the social media world after you receive your Lyme disease diagnosis, because you have this sort of very unhealthy environment in school to begin with, and I guess you think I'm going to use this in part to try to help other people with Lyme disease, and I'm in part going to use this as a vehicle for explaining to the world why I was having the challenge that I was having, and it sounds to me like, at least socially, your efforts to announce to the world why you were sick had the opposite effect.
1: Yeah, so I went all out. I'm actually really proud of myself because I went all out um, after my diagnosis and after my heart surgery. I just thought that it was so insane that I made a YouTube account and I started making videos and they started getting thousands of views out of nowhere. And I made a website at like 16, 17 um, called Got Lime and I started selling bracelets and shirts in efforts to raise funds for my Lyme doctor because she was nonprofit and she didn't have funds um, for her office. And I did, I raised money for her and I would, I went on a radio show that was heard by millions and I was promoting all these things. And yeah, it got, people were mad. In, in my school and they made fun of me and they told me it's annoying and if I can I talk about anything else and they want to they unfollowed me and like I was getting a lot of hate for it um, and I was doing all these things while I was sick so it was pretty great for me I, I'm glad that I did that.
0: <laughs> so uh, and, and I'm really proud of you for having done that as well but I I want you to talk about what the negative attention from your efforts, your outreach efforts, how did that impact you emotionally, and how did that impact your healing?
1: Well, um, there were negative things, but from kids at school, honestly, it was so long ago, that's why I have trouble, like, I haven't really lived that in a while, having gone back to that place where I was, but yeah, they weren't supportive. Nobody was supportive about the Lyme situation. Um, And that did impact me negatively. I felt like an outcast, but what impacted me more negatively than that um, was actually the messages I would receive to my website, which was a lot of sick people Sending me messages about how sick they are and how they can't go on anymore. And that was what I mostly gave my attention to than the people at my school, you know? And it was overwhelming, that aspect. And I couldn't handle it at that age, hearing, reading these messages. They were long and they were hopeless and they were sad. And it was too much for me. I, couldn't do, deal with it anymore. That's the negative aspect mostly that I remember. These kids, it was bad and it was hard, but I got strong and I got through that more easily, I think, than these, these personalized messages that I got to my website.
0: So let's talk about the personalized messages. Who are they from and what, yeah. kinds, of, um, what kinds of folks were sending you these messages?
1: It was so many people from seeing my videos on YouTube and going to my website and writing in the contact me form, which I don't know why I had that because I was a minor, you know, (laughs) but um, they were pretty, it was pretty sad to say the least. People would say that they can't go on or they don't want to live anymore or they have no hope. Um, And my page, my my videos back then were similar to the page that I have now where it was trying to be light of the situation, trying to make light of it, trying to bring joy and laughter to an, an unfortunate situation. You know, that was my goal. And it, it did help people. But why people felt they needed to, I don't know, but they vented is all I could say. They vented like everything. They didn't hold back and they didn't know that I was 16 probably.
0: So your goal was to try to create community and try to let people know that they weren't alone. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. because of where you were both developmentally and and physically, that, um, that creating that community was not something that you were really capable of managing uh, for various reasons.
1: Exactly. I was way too young to be reading the things that they were saying. And it wasn't inappropriate, like it wasn't anything bad. It was, well, I guess it was, but I mean, like, it was sad. It was just too sad and overwhelming so, that, so because of that.
0: What did you do? I mean, how did you ultimately stop this sort of spiral, this emotional spiral that you found yourself on with, uh, you know, not being able to help so many uh, people that were in pain?
1: Well, I deleted everything. I took everything down. I couldn't do it anymore. It was depressing. It took the life out of me. I felt just hopeless as well. It was sad, you know, and I had gained so much empathy from everything that I went through just in that short time. So I was just, I deleted it. I took everything off. I couldn't do it anymore. I went radio silent and I stopped.
0: And for how long were you radio silent?
1: Until a year and a half ago when I started Green Soup.
0: Okay. So now let's walk back again to this, uh, this, treatment journey. You're now treating with mm-hmm. a Lyme literate doctor. How does a Lyme literate doctor treat you differently than the doctors you were treated with before you were diagnosed with Lyme disease?
1: Well, she gave me, we did many different um, routes. We did antibiotic cocktails and she would ask through muscle testing if I wanted antibiotics or the herbal route and I wanted antibiotics. So I did, I did that and then I got off of them and then I did the herbal route. Um, and it didn't work the herbal route for some reason, even though my body is so sensitive to pills or to any like medicine, like I can't, I usually cannot do stuff like that. It's the only thing that works for me. So I was on mepron and malarone to try to treat Babesia for over a year. And that worked. I, test negative for Babesia now, thanks to this doctor, which it is curable. Babesia is curable and people don't know that. Um, Lyme isn't, but Babesia is. So I'm so grateful that she cured that for me. Um, you can Google it too. It is curable. <laughs> Thank God. Cause it's like the worst one. <laughs> so,
0: so, so Brianna, how many different co-infections were you diagnosed with while you're a Lyme-literate doctor?
1: I tested positive for Lyme, Bartonella, Babesia, and um, the, what's the fever one? Shoot, I'd have to look at my, uh, were you, the recurring fever, I forgot what it's called. But um, yeah, that was it.
0: And did your lyme literate doctor treat all of these co-infections at the same time, or did she suggest you that the strategy should be that you deal with one co-infection at a time?
1: Um, I believe we treated Lyme first with an antibiotic cocktail, and then we treated, we focused mainly on Babesia because of my depression, because of how hopeless I felt. It was the worst symptom that I had was the Babesia symptoms. So we really, really, really focused on that. One thing we did miss, and it's my fault because at this point I'm 20 after treating and I need to treat Bartonella and I felt fine and I didn't treat it. So I ignored Bartonella and I no longer was seeing her anymore, but we did treat Lyme first and then, and and then Babesia, we focused on the majority of because that one was horrible.
0: So how long did you treat with your Lyme Litterar Doctor in total?
1: I believe it was four years because it was from like 16 and then 20. Now I'm an adult and it was my, my um, job to be on top of it and I wasn't and I stopped because I felt fine.
0: Okay. Now, did you, did you stop because you felt fine or did you stop because you were just sick of dealing with this disease that you were dealing with for, at that point, seven years of your life, well, almost, almost half of your life?
1: Yeah, I was sick of it. And I had a boyfriend and he, his brother had had Lyme and just took antibiotics and was fine. And I felt crazy for even taking it so seriously by the time I was with him And I didn't have any noticeable symptoms. I was thin now. I was lean and I was healthy and I was going to the gym twice a day. I had a trainer and I had a a two pack and I was like really, really fit and I felt fine and I was sick of it, you know, so I stopped everything.
0: Now, I can hear in your voice that you have some regret about having stopped at 20. Um, What is the reason for that regret?
1: Well, over the next four years, from 20 to 24, 25, Bartonella was slowly growing, and I didn't know, um, and that's what I'm dealing with now. It, my Bart, I just got retested, and it's very, like, off the charts, I have Bart, um, and yeah, that's one that I missed, and you know that's a really hard one to treat already, and the fact I completely ignored it was stupid of me, and now I had to deal with that um, those consequences. So yeah, I wish I wouldn't have stopped treating.
0: So how did your symptoms change between 20 and 24 when you began to start treating the Bartonella?
1: Well, the Bart caused severe stomach, uh, gut problems that showed up when I, um, Slowly, they showed up slowly, slowly, slowly. But then when I got in mold, oh God, it went insane. It was, um, it was kind of like I got diagnosed with colitis and they told me my entire digestive tract from top to bottom was inflamed, very, very inflamed. They were shocked. They're like, usually it's not your entire tract from top to bottom, my, it was mine. And, uh, you know, it was so bad. I wouldn't eat and I would just drink water and 10 minutes later from drinking water, I was in pain. Like it was bad. Like I was stuck at home for six months at one point in pain all the time.
0: So. And how was, how was the, no, it sounds like it was not fun. How was the, mm-hmm. uh, the, the developing uh, symptomology affecting you educationally? Because you're now in college at this time. How was, how is this affecting your Um, your college experience
1: oh my gosh it was horrible I had to tell my teachers um like the seriousness of my GI problem like it was bad they I had to go on disability at my school and I was like terrified to go to class because I was always like hurtled over like in pain like I was just like in the fetal position all the time like crying I was in so much pain all the time and my my teachers at San Francisco State were so nice about it honestly very accepting staff and very accommodating and just awesome honestly I was shocked they're really great there
0: (laughs) Well, how were your fellow students at college? Were they any different than the way you were treated in in high school?,
1: oh, yeah, they were really, really understanding. It was so nice, honestly. I was embarrassed still, and it was like hard to talk about. but when you have group projects and you're that sick, like you have to tell them what's up, you know, and they'd ask questions, good questions, and they would say. Just the nicest things, honestly. It was a completely different experience. And I felt really like I had the room I needed to do my best because of how accommodating they were.
0: Now, despite all of the accommodations that you received from both your professors and from your colleagues, were you able to complete your educational experience in four years or did it take you longer?
1: Well, yes, I did complete it, but not in four years. I was in community college for four years um, before I got to um, San Francisco State. And I hadn't realized that I was dealing with BART problems because they weren't, they weren't noticeable until the stomach problem that was so debilitating. So, like, I gained some weight. I had some outbreak, or, like, my face is breaking out. I was tired, my stomach was bloated, like that's really it. So of course, those are really easy to ignore. I completely ignored it, it but, I, but I was trying to have fun. I was going out a lot. I was drinking with my friends a lot, and I attributed that to what was taking me so long in college, but after I started treating at San Diego or San Francisco State, I felt uh, brain fog lift off of me and I, I really tackled school and I got done with it. So there was a difference, but I wasn't noticing that I was dealing with Bartmilla for the beforehand, you know,
0: so let, it. Brianna, let's, let's reconstruct this. So you're, you're in community college and you're going out and living the, the college life and it's taking a little bit longer to get through the college, the community college experience. And you think that's because of of the, uh, the parting you're doing, not the developing Bartonella symptoms. Correct. But at the same time, of course, when you're living that life, um, and, you're, and, and it's understandable any college student would want to do that, but when you're living that life, of course, your immune system is being compromised, and now the Bartonella is, is able to take off.
1: Yes. But also the mold is what made it take off. So about- I was living in mold in San- yeah, San Francisco is a very it's known that there's mold everywhere. Everyone knows about it. You go out. I got black mold toxicity the first year I was there and people. like, Oh, yeah, you got you got mold. Yeah, you got the mold toxicity. Yeah, me too. Like everyone there seems to know about the mold. And I didn't even know that it was that bad until I, it is bad. But I didn't even I hadn't done my research. Um, I lived in the Sunset District, which is a very foggy, moist, uh, humid area right by the beach there, and everywhere has mold, so I didn't even start getting noticeably sick until I was in that.
0: And, of course, you're immunocompromised, and as someone who's immunocompromised, it is more challenging for your system to manage mold than it would be for people who are are not uh, dealing with those limitations. So the combination of you sort of living, you know, the life you'd expect a college student to live, uh, maybe staying up later than you should and drinking a little bit more than you should. And then, of course, living in a place where your immune system was, was required to manage this mold, your Bartonella took off.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: So how did you begin to treat the Bartonella? When did you begin to treat it and how did you treat it?
1: Well, I kept going to the school, the campus doctor, and they repeatedly, and they wouldn't help me, and they told me all my tests were normal. Um, Finally, I had to go to get a colonoscopy, go to a gastro, and he told, I told him I had Lyme, and he said, no, this isn't that, and we'll be able to see if you have Lyme, we'll check you. And he said, you don't have Lyme, it's not that. And you need to take this medicine for the rest of your life. And the medicine made me dizzy and sick. Um, So I was like, no, I know I have Lyme. So I went to what I thought was a Lyme literate doctor up there in the Bay Area. Unfortunately, this doctor did not treat me for four months, not a single thing. Um, And I suffered for a long time. So I tried treating myself and I would take diatomaceous earth. Which is a powder. Um, you probably, maybe you've heard of it. It's like kind of similar to char- activated charcoal. You put it in water and you drink it. And this was my only hope. It was the only thing that if I took for like a week straight, my stomach wouldn't hurt. So I had to constantly take it. But the problem with this is it dehydrates you. So it was like rough. It was hard to. To constantly be on this stuff, and it didn't a hundred percent fix it, just made it manageable. Um,
0: and so, how did you that, find how did you find the diatomaceous earth as a um, as a part of your treatment protocol?
1: You know, my boyfriend at the time, um, his mom told him about it, and he bought me two huge, like, ten pound bags of it and would make it for me and like, I don't know how, I would have never found it if it wasn't for him. So I didn't know anything about it, but it's amazing.
0: <laughs> so you, uh, you, you, self, you self-treated using bro science uh, and then did you finally step out of that and uh, get to a, um, a healing professional that could help you deal with the Bartonella?
1: Yeah, so as I said, it was hard to keep up with this um, powdery drink because it was like you had to constantly drink it. And, like, I mean, every – multiple times a day probably, and you had to have an empty stomach. It was just, like, a lot for me at the time. So finally – and, I, you know, I wasn't good at it taking it. So if I didn't take it as much as I should, it would get bad again. So basically – It just happened to work out that my mom came up to help me and saw how bad I was. And then I happened to graduate and then I was able to move back to San Diego from San Francisco. And that's when we got, uh, that's when I contacted my old LLMD for my first treatment. The one that saved me in the beginning, you know, my first LLMD. And she got me prescribed on treatment for Bartonella.
0: So you had to uh, go back home and go back to the uh, doctor that um, helped you through the first phase of your battle to uh, now help you through your second phase.
1: Exactly. And she, she got me on um, like a rifampin treatment. So now I'm taking that and it has been amazing. And I, it goes to show that that gastro was wrong and I don't need to be on medicine for the rest of my life because honestly, if you do have colitis, an antibiotic is not going to cure that. If anything, you'd think it, it would upset your stomach more. So it's crazy that I just took an antibiotic and it healed it. Like, so like all the symptoms went away. I feel fine now, you know, I'm going to still treat. I'm not going to stop, but.
0: So you're. <sighs> you're to a point now where your symptoms are largely managed and you're now able to go back to living a more normal life.
1: Yeah. I wasn't able to handle any food prior to, um, treating and, uh, now I can drink coffee. Even if I want, I don't, I drink um, mushroom coffee, which is more, a little more healthy, but, um, yeah, no problems. I lost, the Bartonella weight that I gained. My skin is clear. Um, I can eat in anything without any problems. My hair is growing better. Like, you know, so I feel good, but obviously I'm not ready to get off of my treatment. Um, my levels were pretty high for Bartonella. So I probably have a ways to go.
0: Now, as part of your healing journey, you were able to turn back to um, social media. So you've had sort of three different scrapes uh, with social media. The first was uh, where you were targeted uh, by some folks in in high school through um, through, uh, a social media platform. You then went to a second social media platform after your Lyme diagnosis, and that created some social problems for you at school, but even more importantly, created some social or emotional problems for you, so you had to step away from that um, experience. And now you've turned back to social media. So talk about why you've come back to social media, even though you've had two very difficult experiences emotionally with social media.
1: I was so sick in San Francisco. I was, it was just debilitating sickness. I was so sick and angry and confused. And I was like, this has to be related to Lyme disease. It has to be. Um, There's no reason that somebody my age who was relatively healthy, I mean, I would work out, um, should be this sick. And so I started doing my research and I, for the first time ever, joined the Facebook groups, the Lyme groups, all of them on Facebook and started seeing people, like observing their posts and, and posting my own stuff. And people were like, oh, this is that. and Just the most help I've ever had. Um, on social media. It was crazy. I was like, I wish this was around back. Like, I didn't know about it when I was younger and when I was on social media. And my, um, I was learning so much that my boyfriend at the time was just adamant that I go back on social media and I make videos and I share what's been happening and what's going on and teach people because I have been going through this for so long, which other, a lot of people have, but some people were so brand new to it, only maybe a year in or something. And I was like 13 years in. So um, I did, that's how I decided. I started Green Soup on May 1st, uh, on my birthday in 2019. So um, that was the first day of Lyme Awareness Month. And that was like a big thing for me. I made videos on YouTube and I started posting. Um, I started posting for myself, though, more so, like things I thought were interesting or cool or helpful.
0: So, Brianna, you turned back to the social media community, largely through Facebook, as you got to a point where you were healing and looking for a community during this sort of second phase of your Lyme journey, this Bartonella portion of your Lyme journey. Um, is that what then caused you to feel called to now contribute because you are getting so much from the community that you hadn't gotten during your earlier uh, context with social media?
1: Yeah. And, you know, I had this feeling, this underlying feeling that I was cut out for this. I've done this before. I've been through so much. And I have a lot to offer the community as far as what I know, what I've been through and supporting other people that are going through it. I feel strong enough now um, to hear those messages that are so heartfelt and maybe sad or somebody needs help. I feel like I'm strong enough now to deal with that, having come out of Babesia. Um, And yeah, so that's what I thought I could, that's why I wanted to do it.
0: So let's talk about your transformation because it seems to me that social media was the same during these various stages of your journey. It's you who have changed. So talk to us about how you've changed and how you believe that it's your Lyme experience that's caused you to make the changes that you've made so that you can now contribute to the community. Well,
1: I think it's mostly that Lyme People are like limies, Spoonies in general are warriors. Definitely. You can't go through something like that where your body feels like it may be failing you and come out of it like not strong. Like you come out of that different. I feel like I can handle anything now. I feel like I've been through things that have made me, so strong and able to talk about it with people and understand more of where they're coming from and have that empathy you know um, my empathy levels have grown so much it's crazy and that's something that I always wanted to happen so I wonder you know if maybe this, I was cut out for this even though that's crazy to say I've become more of myself through this process I mean it's been heartbreaking and hopeless and hard and lonely and so many things that are really really difficult to deal with but then you come out of it and you're like wow like I've made lifelong friends and I really am interested genuinely interested in what people have gone through and what they're doing and how they're feeling and those are all the things I think you gain from going through hard times. It makes you in the end closer to your community and to your friends and to people that need you. And that gives you more of a purpose in life than anything else. Definitely. And, you know, aside from having Lyme and being able to find out about my heart problem, which is a really serious heart problem. I'm grateful that I had Lyme because of that alone, you know, um, But the aspect of being able to connect with my community, especially after a period of being depressed and being isolated and feeling so alone, it's a greater gift after that, definitely.
0: So, Brianna, how are you approaching social media differently now than you did when you were younger? Meaning, how is how is Green Soup presenting the experience differently than you presented it when you were a high school student on YouTube?
1: Well, I've done a few different tactics where now I don't necessarily just talk about my journey, even though I know that's important. I feel a better way to connect with people through my marketing education, things that I've learned, studying marketing, digital marketing, is that um, more, my posts are more of a general support system I feel I actually switched from just focusing on Lyme to focusing on a lot like chronic illness in general because I know Lyme can cause a lot of them and a lot of autoimmune and I just wanted to touch the community in a broader sense and get everybody involved because you know it is the majority of the public uh, that have a chronic illness like it's like four out of six people or something and it's um you know, a lot of people have more than one. So I really changed, pivoted from just Lyme to mo- more, more things that people are dealing with, which has in turn helped me learn about them and helped other people that follow learn about them as well. And I don't post about myself as well because I wanted to post where everybody feels included, not just, hey, this is about me, 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 And instead it's, hey, this is about you, you know?
0: So what caused you to pivot from being about you and Lyme to being about everyone and a broader spectrum of disease?
1: Well, quite frankly, just focusing on Lyme wasn't reaching enough people, I realized. Um, For some reason, I don't understand because Lyme is so common, but I was just realizing that people with Lyme they're looking up their other things too. Like maybe Lyme is so confusing as it it causes so many symptoms and so many different things that people maybe are focused on the symptoms of what they have rather than just Lyme. So if it causes, you know, depression or anxiety, or it causes even physical, like whatever you have, like um, endometriosis, it can cause just like colitis or IBS it can cause a lot of physical symptoms and people are looking up those things so that's what I wanted to include and incorporate that's why I made it a more broad situation on my Instagram and it has worked um I think better just to include everybody you know
0: well but that's really the key Brian so you know your your early experiences with social media were not positive and part of the reason why they were not positive is because it was about you now that you've grown and you've now become um, more aware of the pain that so many people are suffering, you've made it about them. And because you've made it about mm-hmm. them, it has been a better experience, not only for them, but also for you.
1: Mm-hmm. Lyme is a very tricky situation because as you know, one day you maybe feel really sick and then the next day you don't. So that's confusing as being, being my age, because if I'm posting, saying, Oh, I'm so sick. And then I'm going out with my friends that weekend. What that I see the, the, like the conflicting view. So, you know, that's another factor too.
0: And that's something that of course, Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's important to explain, right? It's not only important to explain Mm -hmm. to the people who are, who are dealing with chronic illness, but it's also important to explain to people who are either in an intimate relationship with people who have chronic illness or in a more distant relationship with people who have chronic illness, because they can be then more sympathetic if they understand how you're zigging and zagging. One day you feel like crap. And because you feel like crap, um, you know, you, you, you're not functioning at a very high level and another day you're going to feel better. It doesn't mean you're not sick. It doesn't mean you're not making it up. It just means that the nature of this disease is one where you're zigging and zagging.
1: Exactly. And, you know, I just didn't want also to be that person that has to constantly share a flair all the time. It's kind of depressing to me, um, like personally, to have to be like, oh, my whole page is me being sick or about being sick. So I try to, the purpose of my page is to It's kind of like dark humor, I guess, (laughs) which a lot of Limeys love, I noticed. Uh, They love the memes. People love them just because it's it's like you have to, you can't always be negative. It really will take a a toll on you. I mean, it's like listening to sad songs all the time. Like you have to like get up and dance sometimes or, you know, do whatever you can do physically to feel better, like even just going on a walk or, or looking at something funny online, you know? So that's my purpose with that.
0: So how has the response been to your page, your green soup page? And who do you think it's speaking to the most powerfully?
1: My page at like, it's so weird because honestly I was doing it with the, just posting the things that I relate to and that I like, right. Because I didn't know how to connect with anyone really. But, um, it like accidentally took off in its own way. Like I didn't do really anything other than post, and it started reaching a lot of people. I don't know if they changed the algorithm, um, but the insights are like off the charts. Like it was reaching like a million over a million people, like when it first took off. So I don't really know. Like I have no like secret trick other than I was posting Videos, You know what I mean? Like, I don't really understand what happened. I think maybe it is when I made it more of a broad situation um, where people could relate more. But I think it's reaching the people who, I guess I'd have to just say the people who are looking up the specific uh, chronic illness or autoimmune diseases that they're dealing with. That's, I don't really know, you know, I'm just, I think it's just the people who have maybe depression, or anxiety, or certain inflammatory illnesses, because that's what I hashtag, you know.
0: So, So Brianna, let's talk about, um, talk about how to stop someone from getting uh, on the terrible path that you had to go on, although it was transformative and beautiful in many ways, it's certainly not the path that you would have chosen for your 13-year-old self. So let's say, God forbid, um, at the end of this podcast, you walked into your mother's room and you found that she was being bitten by a tick. What would you recommend that she do so that she would not have to go on the terrible journey that you'd had to go on for the last 13 years?
1: Well, immediately, I would just say, save the tick and take it to a doctor because they can test the tick and that's a faster way to find out if it has any of the co-infections or Lyme or anything. And I would also just say you have to get an LMD and get on antibiotics for at least eight weeks. Um, That's what I've heard to be safe. You know, I would just say that off the bat. I mean, I do know people who have been bit and who went on antibiotics for the long enough time and they're fine. So it's really important. But as you know, like a lot of people don't know that they were bit or that they have it. And I just wanna say um, for the younger group of people, um, and I know know, you're you're your dad, so this would maybe help even you be more at ease. Um, I would say for the younger uh, audience who maybe has it, that I would 100% rather get it at a younger age. Um, and go through that at a younger age even though it was hard in high school because I feel my body was stronger and able to fight this more so than if I was like say 50 or 60 or had other things going on like I don't think I would have been able to do it as gracefully as I even did you
0: know Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Brianna Wick. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Brianna Wick and her tick disease journey, please visit our Instagram at official greensoup or at Brianna Wick. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Third, we here at Tick Bootcamp have created a Tick Byte blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any input or improvements you would like to share with us. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, please take a minute to leave us an honest review or rating on iTunes or our website. Thank you, as always, for listening.